From the Rockies to the Ozarks, there are tales of monsters, dark energy, and superstition. Over the past few months, I've been sent about 30 tales from mountain ranges all over North America. Now, I do plan on covering more mountain ranges soon, and if you have a scary story from the mountains that you would like to share on the show, submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. Now, let's explore these mountains and find out why the locals warned us to stay away. I live in the Ozark Mountains, and for the past two years, I have often had to drive through the Ozark National Forest for about two hours back and forth. It's a long stretch with no towns, no lights, just hills and trees as far as you can see. Nothing weird has ever happened to me on that drive. Well, like a month ago, I am driving the normal drive. It is sunny but hazy, and I feel something invade my thoughts. I guess that's the best way I can describe it. I got this buzzy feeling in my body, like something was trying to yank me out of it. It just felt weird. I was not high, and I do not drink. I started feeling like something was talking to me, and it felt like it was coming from the hills or it was from the hills itself. It was basically conveying to me, without words, that it wasn't male or female, and it was really old and needed energy devoted to it, but had to be mutually given. None of it was in words, it was just like I suddenly knew this. I pulled over as I came out of the mountains because I felt so weird. I chalked it up to just being tired, but every time I have had to drive through there in the past few weeks, I feel whatever it is pulling at me. The weirdest part happened last night and caused me to reach out. Please do not think I am weird, but I really don't have words for this. I dreamed I was having sex with nature, like these vines were forming into things that I was just getting intimate with. It was a very strange dream, and the weird thing is, is I knew I was dreaming the entire time and I felt it kind of laughing at me and the entire time I never actually saw it though. It was incredibly happy. This dream it was just so weird and honestly, I was not scared but more amazed. Let me repeat this, I was not high or drunk. I have no history of seizures, hallucinations, or any serious mental illness. I am tempted to chalk it up to my imagination, but it came out of nowhere and with no reference. What could I be experiencing? Should I just pull over one day and get out and see what happens? This happened to me when I was a teenager. I think it was the spring of 1998 when I was 14 years old. My Boy Scout troop went hiking in the Ozark Mountains in Arkansas. I grew up in an exceedingly small town in Tennessee, and the boys in my troop were people I had known my entire life, and we were all awfully close and knew each other very well and trusted each other with our lives. We had been hiking for five days or so, and honestly, it was quite miserable. It rained almost every single day, and we were all exhausted and incredibly sore and very hungry, and not to mention, covered with blisters. The adults realized we had bitten off more than we could chew in trying to hike a 60-mile trail, especially with the awful weather, and we had changed course and gotten off the trail to spend the night in a driving campground. The kind of place with hookups for RVs and picnic tables and fire pits and grills, and a central bathhouse with showers and toilets. 
It was in a very remote area, far from any town or any houses. There may have been a few other small groups there, but if there were, we never interacted or saw any of them. We were all filthy and wet, and thus overly excited about taking a hot shower. It was dark and we had all finished dinner. A group of five of my friends, including my friend Jeremy, who like everyone else in our group I had known since we were just babies, headed up to the bathhouse, which was maybe a quarter mile of away. We had to walk through the pitch dark woods up a worn down gravel walking trail. I stayed behind to clean up, and after 10 or 15 minutes, followed them by myself. I had a weak little flashlight, the old iridescent kind. This was before LEDs were very common. I remember the woods were totally silent. When I got about halfway to the bathhouse, I could see the light from it off in the distance through the woods. I heard a noise to my left, and I looked over and saw my friend Jeremy standing by an old school manual water pump, about 20 feet off the trail. The kind of pump where you raise and lower a handle to pump water up from a well. There was a strange light around him, like the moon had come out from behind the clouds. I was startled to see him there by himself in the woods off the trail. I asked him if he was already done with his shower. He seemed kind of sad and he said, Yeah, it's all yours. I said okay and did not think much of it until I got to the bathhouse. When I walked in the door, my friends were all in there, and I heard Jeremy talking from the shower. All the blood drained out of my head, and all the hair on the back of my neck stood up. I had to sit down before I passed out. My friends were freaked out and wanted to know what was wrong. I told them what had happened. They nervously made jokes about how I must have been smoking pot. This was long before any of us had experimented with any kind of mind-altering substances, mind you. But I could tell they all believed me. Like I said, we had known each other forever and knew when one of us was exaggerating or playing a joke. We all waited together until everyone was finished showering and brushing teeth and whatnot, and then walked back together in total silence. When we got to the lever, however, I had not seen anybody there. It was like he was gone without a trace. The water pump was there, though. No one noticed it, though, before, because it was way off the trail and obviously not in use. We got back to our campsite and went to bed pretty freaked out, honestly. I remember not sleeping much that night. In all the years since then, I have never been able to figure out what happened. Was there a random teenage boy in the woods who looked just like my friend, which is unlikely? Did I hallucinate it? Also unlikely. But, ultimately, who is to say? My grandparents used to live in the Ozark Mountains in a tiny house in the woods. I loved it there. Being from West Texas, it was always nice to resort to a place with trees. After a year or two of living in the house, my grandparents decided to renovate it to make it look like a logged cabin. I had always felt something really unsettling about the house and warned them to be careful because renovating the house could stir up some unpleased spirits. They went ahead with the renovations, gorgeous woodwork on the house with two gorgeous decks looking out to the mountains, and an entirely new living area in the basement. It was gorgeous, and I was overly excited to stay there in the summer. When I arrived, the atmosphere was tense. I felt angry even though my grandparents were very welcoming. It was quite strange. I got an official tour, and for the most part, the interior was the same. Then we went to the basement. I was overwhelmed with fear. I was hesitant to go down, alone at any time, honestly, no matter if it was day or night. 
and when I would, I could never stay for long. I always slept upstairs, and I never really felt safe down there. I don't know why. One day I was making my way down the stairs to get some laundry which was located across from the basement. I'd only taken about three steps down when I suddenly felt cold and could not move. I was suddenly petrified. Not long before I felt the force on my back and the next thing I knew I was sliding down the stairs. Still entirely petrified that I could not even scream. It was a silent fall. When I could move again, I rushed for my clothes and ran back up the stairs and did not go back down for quite a few days. A week or so would go by. It was July 3rd. It was storming all day but still warm outside. My grandparents had left for a party down the street and I decided to stay and hold the fort all alone, by myself. I was upstairs in their big open loft on their computer, just killing some time. It was still storming outside, and it was the last moment of daylight. I was listening to music with my headphones on, browsing YouTube and the likes. I felt a familiar cold breeze, but instead of my entire body, it was just my neck, and instead of being an extended cold, it was brief, as if someone was blowing it on me. I was not moving at all. I was too scared to even breathe. And, as I stayed still, the headphones on my head flew at such a force it hit the computer screen in front of me. I screamed. I ran. I panicked. I tried to turn on the TV, but it was a startling loud static. I tried turning it off, and it just wouldn't. Trying to calm my nerves, I looked at a painting of a meadow my grandparents had hanging by the TV. And I saw it. I saw a man with the most sinister evil face I had ever seen with empty white eyes that I still felt so much fear staring into them. I ran outside in the rain, shoeless and terrified. I walked to the house where my grandparents were, never explaining what happened. I'm going to tell you about an experience I had as a kid that continues to terrify me to this day. I have never come to a solid opinion on what it was, so I decided to share it publicly and see if anyone else has had a similar experience. If you have, or can point me to other similar examples, it would be greatly appreciated. So, first, some context. I was between the ages of 13 and 14 years old, roughly 30 years ago now. I lived in a very tiny rural town with less than 400 people, at the north edge of the Ozark Mountains in Missouri. This town was so small, we did not have our own police, and school only went to 8th grade. After that, you had to go to the next town. I lived in a modular home about the same size of a double-wide trailer. At the time, my sister and her son, who was 4 or 5 at the time, lived with us. So it was just the two of them, myself and my parents. We also had a family dog that slept inside the doorway. As for the layout, if you were to walk in front of the door, straight ahead would be the living room. To the right was a short hall. On the right of that hall was the door to my sister's room, on the left, the bathroom. I shared a room with my nephew, directly at the end of the hall. In the bedroom, we slept in bunk beds and I was on the top bunk. The bed was built by my dad and although it was stable, it made a lot of noise and wobbled when he or I moved around in it. Unfortunately, I do not have a date season, or any specific year for this. I was not in the habit, that young, to be recording things like that, but as I said, it was about 30 years ago now. I was somewhere around 14 or 15, and my nephew was 4 or 5. 
So, here's what happened. I do not remember how I woke up, just that I was awake. It was in the middle of the night and everyone was in bed. And then I started hearing a strange noise. It started at the front door. It sounded like a footstep, but the cadence was not quite right. These steps were repetitive and seemed to be timed. But about five seconds between steps, too long for it to be a person walking, they did not seem to be trying to be quiet either. They were solid thumps. I think after the first couple, I pulled the blanket over my head. These steps, I'll just call them that, came down the hallway, past my sister's door, into my room, and stopped when they were right outside of my bed. I was terrified. I tried to scream, but nothing would come out. I remember it was as if my throat was squelching the sound, and my scream was just silent. My nephew said, tiredly, Mommy? And then the bed began shaking and squeaking. I remember this happening for around three to five seconds, and then it stopped. I do not remember anything after that. I do not remember falling back to sleep or any other noises. That is simply and honestly the end of my memory that night. The next day I did tell everyone in the house about what happened, but I don't think anybody really believed me. Everybody said it was probably a dream, and they all said they did not come into our room that night. Another odd thing is our dog made no noise. He seemed to be asleep through it, and I went right past where he slept. I'm not going to declare that there is no way I was dreaming. I honestly do not believe I was, but I will accept that it is a possibility. Also, no one in the house had a history of sleepwalking, and I have never known any of them to do it. But, barring a dream, what do you guys think it was, and why? So this is a true story about one of the more real-life threatening moments I have experienced. About a year ago, I drove across the country to California for grad school. Total, the trip was about 2,800 miles, taking me across the middle of the country. I had two other options, to drive the northern route through Colorado or the southern way through Alabama and South Texas. Although I was probably going the more boring way, it was the fastest by about six hours. The entire trip took about four and a half days. I had recently been through a tough breakup, and things back home all around were not going great for me since undergrad, so that played into my decision to move to California. I really enjoyed the drive itself. It gave me plenty of time to reflect on my life and figure out the stuff I needed to change about myself. I would basically drive 10 to 15 hours a day until I got tired and then booked an Airbnb. I took my time on the drive, if I saw a cool national park or landmark to explore, I did it because it was the freest I have ever felt. Anyways, I was driving through the Ozark Mountains in Arkansas. I had never watched the show but figured it would be a cool place to explore. I was making good time on the drive, so I took a 30-minute detour and followed the GPS on my phone to the center of the national park. I drove through a quaint town, past a junkyard filled with old, rusted vehicles, and down a stretch of road that was covered in tall spruce trees. Eventually, I lost service, but that was fine because I figured it was still a relatively frequented spot for outdoor junkies. I reached a gravel turnout marked with a wooden sign where people could take small boats to launch. I parked, locked my car, and grabbed my knife and some water and hammock, hoping to find a cool spot by the river to get a peaceful rest. 
I found two trees with the perfect distance and set up my hammock, drifting off into a light sleep for about 30 minutes or so. When I decided it was time to go, I rolled my hammock into its case, put my large knife and water into my drawstring bag I carry them in. I should add that I carry the knife whenever I go hiking, because I'm a paranoid person that has seen way too many movies. I grew up hunting and fishing and wrestled in college, so I normally feel safe on my own. As I walked up from the riverbank, I noticed a black SUV had parked and a young couple was standing behind it with the back hatch open. The guy was setting up a fishing pole and the girl was standing there just watching. I noticed a medium-sized black dog with medium-length hair. It looked like a lab mixed with maybe German Shepherd. My family has always had large dogs and this one looked friendly, so the thought did not cross my mind that maybe it was not. As I got closer to their car, which was parked by mine, the dog noticed me and started trotting towards me. As it got within five feet, I stuck my palm out for it to sniff. I do not know if it felt like I was going to be a threat or what, but it instantly started barking and growling, running from its owners and back to me. As it did this, the girl just looked at it, saying nothing, and the guy just kept messing with the fishing line. After a few times of running back and forth, the dog charged at me, and I started backpedaling and yelling at it. This seemed to scare it off a little, but it kept charging and lunged at me, biting me through my shorts and on my mid-thigh, breaking the skin. Thankfully, it did not hold or shake, but I could immediately see blood running down my leg. I honestly had no idea what to do and I felt terrified and an intense anger towards the couple for not calling their dog off. The guy was still playing with his fishing pole while the girl looked with an expressionless face. After the dog bit me, it continued to do its charging back and forth. As it ran back to them, I quickly opened my drawstring and fumbled with my knife. It was a large 10-inch blade in a black sheath. I drew it and yelled out to the couple that I will use it if I must. Out of all things I could have yelled to make myself seem tough, I just said, please get your dog. I guess it was all my mind could process at the time. Finally, the guy looked up and called his dog back and held it by the collar, allowing me to get in my car. I did so as quickly as possible, no one saying a word to each other. And as I drove off, the adrenaline wore off with what was replaced with anger. My brain was telling me that I should go back and confront the couple for being so careless about their dog viciously attacking another person. However, the logical side of my mind told me to keep driving and to not look back. I know this might not seem like that big of a deal, and could have been a lot worse, but imagine being a thousand miles away from home in the remote Arkansas wilderness with no phone service. I assessed the damage once I found a safe place to pull off the road, and after I regained service, luckily the puncture wounds were not very deep, and I had a medical kit in my trunk from where I was a lifeguard. I dressed it with rubbing alcohol and cotton gauze and drove off. Looking back, I should have called the police or animal control, because the dog could have had rabies. I really did not even think about that at the time. I guess I was just still so shaken up. If I ever drive through Arkansas again, I will make sure to never ever go hiking. My name is Sam and I live in the Ozark Mountains of Arkansas. I have lived here all my life and have been hunting in these mountains since I was a boy with my father. I am also a heavy believer in the supernatural and in cryptids. Dogmen, Bigfoot, Skimwalkers, and Wendigos have gotten me intrigued by the superstitious. But here in Arkansas, we have a legend, and I'm sure you have heard a legend here 
and let me tell you that this legend is very real. This is my encounter with the infamous Ozark Howler. It was a cold, misty night in the mountains of the Ozark landscape. My father and I were gathering some firewood for the family. We live in a cabin that we built ourselves, and my dad being brought up in these mountains by my grandmother and his great-grandfather, our family consisted of my stepmother and my two younger siblings. I was the oldest of my two siblings. I am currently 21 and own a couple of firearms. We hunt with an 1870 antique Winchester repeater and a Krag Jorgensen rifle, or more known as the bolt-action rifle that was passed down by my grandfather and was used to hunt game back when trapping was a big thing in the States. Now, we use these weapons as a token of our appreciation to our ancestors. I also use a standard hunting knife and a crossbow whenever I go camping and hunting. We go hunting often, and we have not seen much this past winter. We would see the occasional bear or the occasional mountain lion, but not many deer this season, which was odd as they are abundant in these mountains. While we were gathering some firewood outside, we heard a howl in the distance. I have heard these howls before, and mostly I assumed it to be some coyotes, a fox, or maybe a lone cougar. It was also much colder than any normal night, and we were chopping the firewood my father was looking at me with sweat dripping down his face. He said, How's it going over there, champ? I responded with, Just fine, Dad. It's a lot colder than normal tonight. What do you say we go hunting for the game soon? The kids are probably hungry. He responded with a resounding, Yeah, I think we should. We don't want to keep the family waiting. So we went inside the cabin to gather our weapons. I took my Winchester repeater and my crossbow, and my father took his Krag Jorgensen rifle and his pump-action shotgun. We let my mom know we were going to go hunting and that we would set off into the cold. We decided to take a trail that was all too familiar to us to see if we could catch ourselves a big buck or a doe, which would be lucky for us. I was walking through the snow, listening closely to anything that could be lurking in these woods. Luckily, it was a clear night and the moon was full, so I could see ahead of me fairly well. In these mountains, we had all sorts of encounters ranging from bison to cougars, but this time, it felt different. The woods were eerily quiet. I felt like something was watching me from the tree line. All I could hear was the beating of my heartbeat and the sounds of our footsteps in the snow, and then we heard it. A loud, very eerie howl that made my blood go cold. I tried to focus on where the sound came from. I looked at my father and he seemed to be on edge. I asked him, what do you think that was? He responded with, I don't know, son, but I think we should keep it quiet and see if we can get down and find a deer for dinner. I noticed his hands were trembling with fright, but it was a good sight to see that he wanted to keep going. So I went along with him. You see, my dad is fearless and he is a quite strong man. From what I know, no one would want to mess with him to see him want to continue our hunt was a good sign to me. I kept on listening closely to the sounds that surrounded us. As the forest became alive again, I heard something to our left, and up ahead I saw a deer come into the clearing. It was a buck, with a genuinely nice set of antlers. He seemed not to notice us yet. I quickly, but quietly got my crossbow out, because I did not want to frighten the deer. I loaded the crossbow up, took aim at the heart of the big buck, and fired. 
I saw it pierce through the skin of the buck as he tried to run away with the arrow stuck into his heart. We followed the blood trail and the now injured deer. As it was letting out cries of pain, I took out my hunting knife and, with an act of mercy, put it out of his misery. After that, we heard something to the right of us. I looked down into the tree line to see if anything was there. I heard a low, deep guttural growl. I instantly froze in fear. Whatever it was sounded intimidating, but it was odd as in Arkansas, the largest animal we usually have are bison or bear. Whatever this thing was did not sound like any predator that hunts in this region. My dad picked up the carcass of the dead deer and put it on his shoulders. He signaled me to follow him. As we were making our way back to the cabin, I kept hearing heavy footsteps follow us every few meters. I kept looking around to see if I could catch a glimpse of whatever it was, and then I saw it. To the left of me, I saw a huge shape moving slowly by us. It was absolutely gigantic. It looked like a grizzly bear to me, but it's odd to see anything this big in these woods. I signaled my dad to look. He turned and saw it as well, and said quietly to me, Stay close to me, and as long as we stay quiet and move quietly, we should be okay. I responded with a head nod, and we started to sneak our way back to the cabin. We got to the cabin in under 15 minutes. Both my dad and I were on edge as we moved back to the cabin. All we heard was the occasional growling and howl of the creature, as it seemed like it was taunting us. As we moved into the clearing near the cabin, I heard a booming set of footsteps behind me. I looked behind me to see the same creature once again, except this time I could see it clearly. It looked a lot like a grizzly bear, but with horns and eyes glowing a bright crimson blood red. My dad and I screamed as we ran back to the cabin. We made it just in time to close the door, as whatever the creature was, was banging on the door with brute force. My dad started panicking, putting the deer down and rushing the kids and my stepmother upstairs. I kept on hearing this creature scratch at the door and every so often, it tried to break it down. It roared so loud that my ears started ringing. As it desperately tried to break down the door, I decided I was going to try to scare it off. I went upstairs to my bedroom window, opened it up, and got my Winchester ready. I got the massive beast in my sights as I fired at it. After I hit it, I let out a roar and ran back into the woods with the earth shaking behind its every step. Everything suddenly went quiet again after this. I ran downstairs and looked outside to see nothing but large footprints in the snow. I opened the door and looked at the damage the creature caused, and I saw that there were huge scratch marks and indentations on the door. I then went to the footprints left by the creature, and to my surprise, there was no blood, even though I am positive I shot it multiple times. After this, I researched more into our history and found out that whatever my dad and I saw that night is probably known as the Ozark Howler. Every so often, we can still hear it howl at night, but my dad and I have learned to respect the beast. I went on a camping trip with my parents, grandparents, and a friend in North Carolina in the Appalachian Mountains when I was maybe 16, sometime in the fall. It was a simple trip where we all made good campfire food and went shopping at small shops in nearby town to get trinkets 
and to go to those crappy little gem mines, where you can buy some geodes and break them open and polish them to find quartz and amethyst. One night, after we had already made s'mores and went over to my grandparents' camper to play board games, I and my friend had settled down in our bunk beds in our parents' camper to start going to sleep. It was about one in the morning, and everyone else in the camper had dozed off, but I had stayed up on my phone playing a video game and texting my significant other. Just then, I'd heard something rustling outside in the brush near our camper. I played it off since we were in a national park, and it was normal for squirrels and raccoons to be messing around. Maybe five minutes later, I heard something outside the camper banging the metal ring around the fire pit. I decided to go check out what it was and get my slides from outside in case it was a raccoon and took them. What I saw when I peeked out of the camper's door was what I thought was a deer, bumping its snout up against the grill grate of the fire. I thought it was strange behavior, but I figured it had some disease and decided to leave it be. I opened the door a little bit more and crouched down to get my slides from the ground just because I had gotten up, but it had noticed me then. This deer was looking straight at me, huffing as if it were trying to scare me off. I grabbed my shoes and was getting ready to close the door back, but then it stood on its hind legs and its knees locked. It looked like they were bending backwards, if that makes any sense. It was almost like they were locking in place. I almost peed myself right there. I quickly shut the door and locked it. I got back in my bed and sat there, my adrenaline rushing, trying to comprehend what I had just seen. The next morning, I looked up any similar sightings and only got cases of zombie deer virus. But none of the behavioral effects of the disease included standing on their hind legs. About four months later, while listening to the Swamp Dweller channel, I heard a story from North Carolina that shared a story about them going to the Appalachian Mountains and seeing the exact same thing only their encounter bared a mouth of sharp teeth. They said it was a local legend that most people just called the not-deer. A year passed and I can't say that I thought much of it, but as a pagan, I believe the more you speak or think of something, the more likely it is you'll manifest it into your life, or in this case, encounter it. So fast forward about eight months ago. I was 18 and in college, but I was home on winter break and chilling and smoking with some friends. We had decided to tell scary stories that we had all had from personal experiences because we were all bored out of our minds. When it got to me, I told the story from a few moments ago, and everyone went silent, as we're all spiritualists and superstitious. After telling that story, I kept thinking about it throughout the night. Once I had gotten time for me to go home, before my mom yelled at me for being out too late, I had gotten on the road and drove home. I kept thinking about it over and over, the whole 40 minute drive, and once I had gotten a few turns from my house, I saw a deer run out in front of me, so I stopped the car to wait for them to pass. One of the deer running had stopped at the side of the road and looked straight at me, and it stood up with the same backwards knees that locked in place, and I stepped on the pedal and got to my house within three minutes when it normally should have taken about eight. I'd went to sleep that night and started having nightmares about it, waking up in cold sweats multiple times throughout the night. These nightmares continued for weeks, 
and it wasn't settling well with me. One day, after what I'll dub my last nightmare, we'd let our cats out of the house to have some outdoor time. Later that day at five or so, we called them, and all of them came back but one, so my mom asked me to go look for him in the woods. I live in a very rural, small town in South Carolina, and I live pretty far out in the more rural area with my parents. You don't really see many people out here, unless they're hunting. So I didn't expect much by walking out a mile into the woods to look for my cat. As I was calling his name, I heard a rustle in the brush a few yards away from me and instinctively turned to look, and there was a deer, bearing a mouth of sharp teeth. I screamed and turned running back to my house. Once I was out of the woodline, I laid down to catch my breath and simply just started crying. I started spouting nonsense, saying that I was sorry for looking at it and thinking about it, and that I did not mean to call it here. I did not know if it was anywhere nearby, but it felt like right now, it was everywhere. I haven't seen my cat again since then, so I just suspect that some coyotes got him, or worse, maybe that thing got him. I don't think about it much now, and I haven't since, but I still have occasional nightmares about it. I hope not to see this thing ever again. So, the only thing I have to ask is, what is that thing supposed to be? I discovered your channel not too long ago and was hoping I could get some help identifying the creature I saw. For some context, I own 12 acres right at the base of the Appalachian Mountains in Pennsylvania, and I often camp up in the mountains. This night I was camping with two friends and my hunting beagle Judy, sometime toward the end of July in 2015. I will call my friends Robert and Aaron to conceal their identities. We headed out around noon and made our trek through my property and up the mountain. The hike often takes around two hours or so. Everything was going perfect until about an hour in. Judy picked up a scent and ran straight after it howling all the way, disobeying my commands to return. This was the first time he's done that since I was training him. Robert, Aaron, and I pursued Judy through the woods going off our intended path into an area I have never been. All of us came into a clearing and saw Judy standing completely still, staring at something. I hurried over and saw a doe ripped in two, next to a small stream. All of us were incredibly surprised to see this and slightly disgusted, as we have all been hunting buddies for about 15 years and have never seen any animal as mutilated as this deer was. We chalked it up to a black bear but were still on edge. Judy was extremely aware, cautious, and scared the entire time. He didn't howl one time after seeing the deer, and I assumed picked up a stronger or a new scent. I've never seen him act like this in the woods, not even after being face to face with a coyote. We started to work our way back to the normal hiking route, and heard what sounded like bipedal footsteps behind us, keeping about a hundred yard distance or so. I forgot to mention, I always carry when I'm in the wilderness. You can never be too safe. I decided it was time to take my Smith & Wesson 357 Magnum out of its holster and stay on guard while I continued our hike. The footsteps eventually faded as we were on the regular hiking route. All of us made it to my camping spot 
but the hike took a ridiculous four hours. Judy was calmed at this point, but obviously spooked. We set up our tents. Robert and Aaron shared a tent because someone had to carry the beer, and neither Aaron nor I wanted the extra weight. We got a fire going, and I cooked up some baked beans. By the time we were finished eating, chatting, and having a few drinks, it was already getting dark. We all decided it was time for bed because we had a long hike in the morning. Now that I think of it, I wasn't even thinking about the incident with the deer earlier, even though I should have been. I woke up at around 2am to what sounded like very heavy footsteps outside of my tent. Judy was standing up and kept completely still. It was like he was trying to warn me to stay still and quiet. There were no other sounds in the forest, and it smelled like rotting meat. Not even the chirps of crickets were present with this awful smell. A few minutes later, I could hear Robert and Aaron in the next tent to me whispering. I heard someone get out of the tent as they were telling me to stop messing around with them. It was 2am and they were trying to sleep. As I heard the rustling of the tent, I heard Aaron say, Holy crap, what the heck is that thing? I quickly unzipped my tent and jumped out just as Robert jumped out of their tent as well. Judy did not move from his spot in the tent, and I saw this gray creature peering at us from behind a tree. This thing must have been between 9 or 10 feet tall with antlers and weird concave eye sockets. It wore a creepy thin smile. Its eyes had almost a reddish glow to them. I rushed back to my tent and grabbed my 357. I ran back out and shot three rounds center mass. We all heard the most ear-piercing scream any of us have ever heard. It ran off into the woods as Judy whined and hit in one of the corners of the tent. Robert looked at me with an expression of pure terror. Aaron was already packing up our things. Shortly after, we started packing up as well. We got hit with the realization real quick. How have none of us ever seen or heard of such a vile creature in these forests? We packed up our camp in record time. I had to carry Judy because he was still whining and refusing to move. We were paranoid beyond belief and practically ran down the mountain and could hear this creature following us after we departed our camp. I blindly fired three rounds into the dark behind us with one hand, as I had Judy in the other. I had to reload and had Aaron hold Judy. I emptied six rounds into the forest after my reload. I heard this creature screech one more time, just as ear-piercing and as painful as the first scream. All of us made it down the mountain in record time with only a few slips and falls. It took us a total of about an hour and a half from when we originally woke up to make it back to my house. We were all very shook up and talk about it often with each other, but nobody else. Judy took it the worst. As Robert, Aaron, and I continue to hunt and spend time in the wilderness, Judy will no longer enter the woods anywhere and rarely howls and barks now. Thank you for giving me a platform to share my story and I hope that someone can help me identify this creature that we saw that terrifying night in the Appalachian Mountains. There's not much to do in rural parts of Pennsylvania, what some call Pennsylvania. Like most parts of rural America, popular pastimes include drinking oneself into a stupor and driving uninspected 1983 Ford F-150s doubled the speed limit down narrow, 
rarely maintained roads. I, however, occupy myself when I can by hunting. It gets a bad rap as barbaric, cruel practices, but I've always found solace in the forest. It's impossible to find in the cramped, too-close comfort of the atmosphere of a small town. This particular season, I was out in early November, in the forest in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains, a few minutes away from my home northwest of Harrisburg. It was late in the fall season, and the steady flow of foliage tourists, what locals call leaf peepers, was beginning to trickle to a stop. Some trees were still burning a fiery red-orange, but most were beginning to wither, foreshadowing an unusually harsh winter. The falling leaves created a curtain of decay which moved like a sandstorm in slow motion, shrouding and isolating me from any of the surroundings and crunching softly under every footstep. I paced through the temple of red and gold, alert for the light footsteps of my quarry, white-tailed deer. My Winchester 30-06 swayed on my back as I walked. The gun was overkill for deer, but it does not pay to take chances around the bigger game like elk and black bear. This forest was new territory for me, a refreshing change of pace after paved trails and subdivisions began to encircle the hunting grounds of my childhood. As I walked, I began to lighten my guard, loosing focus on wildlife and becoming engrossed in natural beauty of the area. I became so distracted peering at the falling leaves that I tripped over a tree root snaking through their carpet. I followed it with my eyes to its termination at the base of a massive, gnarled oak tree. The trunk was huge but the tree was squat, blackened with age, and split down the middle as if God had struck it with lightning. This story could have ended then and there if it were not for a smell that wafted up to me as I passed the tree. It wound its way up from the tree's base out of the swale in the ground to the raised path, pushing the crisp smell of the forest aside. My first thought that this was a dead animal, which could mean a bear was in the area, so I circled the tree to look. There was no carcass, but the scene at the base of the tree resembled a homicide. Dark matted clumps of fur dotted the undergrowth and a vicious black fluid led from the forest into a hollow overshadowed by a titanic root. The entire picture was punctuated by that same rank smell, a thick coppery scent like pennies mixed with death. I am not unused to gritty, even downright disturbing scenes, but this scent made me wretch involuntarily, and the den unsettled me deeply as though I had stumbled upon something no one should have ever seen. Shaken, I moved back onto the trail against my better judgment and resumed my search for a deer. The sun began to beat down overhead with all the clarity of a winter's day, shining a demanding light on the forest and weakening my resolve. I had just begun to unpack my lunch when something began to bother me. I could not put a finger on what it was, but I felt antsy, for the lack of a better word. Like I should not be sitting still. Without even knowing it, I began to scan my surroundings for something. Anything. I was returning to my lunch when it hit me. The forest was silent. No birds chirping. No insects buzzing. 
even the rustle of the trees and the wind had come to an ominous standstill. As the meaning of this realization began to sink in and I got to my feet, two things happened in rapid succession. A sizable branch snapped a few hundred meters away, and an ungodly screech penetrated the November air. I have never heard of a sound like it, before or since. It was as though the earth itself split and hell opened, just long enough to sum up the suffering of the damned in one ear-splitting roar. Terrified, I bolted to my gun, leaned against a tree, and began to scan the underbrush. Something big was moving through the forest floor, but I couldn't see what it was thanks to the curtain of leaves falling around me. I hastily made tracks back in the direction I came, forcing myself to not look back. After all, what animal would actively stalk a human without even being provoked? I had lost the sound of the creature and began to loosen up a bit when I was hit with a bone-chilling realization. The sounds of the forest had come back behind me, but the trees in front were as silent as the grave. Whatever I encountered, probably the same beast that made the mess under the oak tree, had circled back in an attempt to trap me. Truly scared at this point, I scrambled off the path into a rock gully, my back to damp rocks. I crawled without taking my eyes off the path onto a cave, hoping that I could hide in here. I was trying to hide my hyperventilation and chattering teeth from whatever was stalking me. Only a few minutes had passed and I heard the crunch of leaves in a deep, demonic snorting. It stopped on the path above my hideaway and I held my breath, willing my heart to stop to be completely silent. The creature had begun to move on when my gut, leaning against the rock, slipped off the slick surface. It clattered to the ground, reverberating louder than an air raid siren in the crisp autumn air. My heart sank as I heard footsteps make their way down the rocks and closer to me. I crawled painfully slowly towards my rifle, every muscle in my body tight enough to burst. I stopped to steady myself and heard breathing, right outside the cave opening. It was choked, slavering breathing, unnatural breathing which inspired visualizations of twisted corruptions of human and beast, a patchwork of demon and animal and man all mixed together. I reached for my gun and came to the closest to death I ever have, because I outstretched my hand, and so did it. Instead of the smooth shellac of my rifle stock, my palm met a course of ragged fur, caked with mud, and attached to a lanky, sinewy arm. The beast screamed, and as I shouldered my rifle and fired blindly out of the opening, I caught a glimpse of yellowed fangs, and one blood-red eye, an eye that reflected a hatred, more ancient than man, a hatred that said this is my forest, you have altered it through your presence, corrupted it, but I was here before you, and I will be hereafter. Human willpower paled in the face of such uncompromising malice, and I shrank back against the rocks, robotically cycling bullets out of the cave. I sat there dead-eyed, doing this for as long as I could. By the time I snapped out of my adrenaline-fueled haze, my mouth felt like a desert and my fingers felt as though they were made from canvas stretched over dust. Shaking, I reached over for my water bottle and gulped it down, spilling most of it down my front. Praying the beast was long gone, I inched my way out of the cave and ran as fast as my little rickety legs would carry me 
two odd miles back to my truck, leaving most of my gear behind. Nothing seemingly pursued me, but the feeling of being hunted remained. I drove back to town at 80 miles per hour on a dirt road. My eyes were wide with fear and my hands gripping the wheel with white knuckles. Unable to bear the thought of my secluded home, I spent the night in a hotel room in town with a bottle of cheap whiskey and every light in the room turned on. The thought of the creature would not exit my mind. Was it a demon, loose on the earth by some divine mistake, or just an animal, a cryptid lost of time in the memories of the trees? I did not really want to know, but I could not, and still cannot let it go. The fear eventually subsided, but as I sit at home writing this, I swear to God that I can hear the howl echo through the trees every so often across the Appalachians, telling me that I may never rest, and I may never forget. A few years back, my girlfriend and I, having hiked several other parts of the Appalachian Trail, decided we wanted to give the southern portion of Virginia's trail a shot. It is about 166 miles long and runs through George Washington and Jefferson National Forest from Roanoke County to Parisburg and Giles County. This is one of the most remote and less traveled parts of the trail, which is exactly what we were looking for. We gathered our gear and made our way to the start of the Virginia Creeper Trail to begin our journey. We had planned our journey to end at Damascus and figured that by the time we got there, we would be more than ready to get home to our own beds. It was early October and the changing of the leaves and colors were amazing. The air was crisp and cool, perfect hiking weather with beautiful scenery. Most of the trip was uneventful just like your typical hike. But our last couple of nights is where things began to get truly weird. On this portion of the trail, you were supposed to camp on the trail or a designated shelter. We did not really want to run into other people and did not want anyone coming upon us in the middle of the night. We decided to ignore those suggestions and find our own little spot off trail. A little searching around and we found a spot a little way off the trail in the middle of a small clearing. It was perfect. We set up camp, cooked some food, and talked for a while, then snuggled up and went to bed for the night. Somewhere around 2am, I was awoken by my girlfriend shaking me and telling me, Get your gun. Someone is outside walking around our tent. She informed me that she woke up to what looked like and sounded like someone right outside the tent, running a knife or something along the side while circling us. One hiking I care in 1911, and a judge with me. You never know exactly who or what you might run into when on such a long hike in a remote location. I got the judge out of my pack, and then we sat silently, listening for any sounds. A few minutes of nothing, but the breeze blowing through the trees, and then I heard it. Snap, crunch, snap. Someone, or something walking in the woods behind our tent. I got the flashlight, and silently made my way out of the tent. Our fire had gone out, so it was nearly pitch black. Illuminated by only the dim glow of the October moon, I told my girlfriend to stay put while I checked it out. I did not flick the flashlight on right away to not give away that I was out of the tent, 
and to have it become a shining beacon of my location. Instead, I waited to hear more noises. After a few minutes, I heard more snapping. It sounded like it was bipedal based on the way the steps were paced. I turned on the flashlight and flooded the area with light. I thought I saw someone move behind a tree. I yelled out them and told them to go away that I was armed. I kept the light on the area with my gun. I had it drawn and slowly approached the area where I thought I saw the figure. Then from my right, I hear what sounds like someone running away through the woods. I spin and face the light that way. And then from the original spot, I hear somebody else take off in the woods. There is no way I'm giving chase. So I return to the campsite. I tell my girlfriend about what happened and I ended up sitting guard outside the tent in the darkness until daybreak. In the morning, I looked around for signs of who or whatever it was, and I discovered a boot print in the same soft, moist part of the dirt that I just had gone before they all ran away. It was not mine and it was not my girlfriend's. This freaked me out, as it confirmed that someone, perhaps more than one, were skulking around our tent in the dark. I kept it to myself because I did not want to freak my girl out any more than she already was. At this point, we were deep in and still had two days left. That day, we walked a little faster than normal and covered as much ground as possible. When it came time to set up camp, I found a spot near a cliff where we could place the tent in a small overhang to prevent anyone from coming up behind us. The whole day up to this point, I had a feeling that we were being followed. I had no confirmation of this as I had not seen or heard anyone else, but it was just a gut feeling. We set up camp and made some food, then retreated to the tent. I gave my girl the 1911 and I kept the judge right next to me and I assured her that if I slept at all, it would be with one eye open. After a while, she drifted off to sleep and I stayed awake listening to the sounds of the woods. I was awake for a few hours, just waiting to see if anything was going to happen. At some point, I guess my exhaustion caught up with me, and I drifted off. I awoke some time later to hear what sounded like someone going through our stuff right outside the tent. I grabbed my gun, woke my girlfriend up, shushing her to be quiet, and from the faint glow of the fire, I could see someone silhouette against the tree. There was really someone out there. I yelled to them something along the lines of, We are armed. Get the heck out of here. They dropped what they were doing and bolted. I came out of the tent, gun drawn, and ready to shoot someone. Our stuff was strewn about. They had rummaged through quite a bit of our stuff. I walked to the edge of the woods in the direction of wherever I thought I had heard them fleeing. There was a creek nearby, and I walked to the edge. There was a small trail running alongside of it. Down the creek I could see a light. It looked like a lantern the way it flickered. When I saw three more emerge from the other side... I told my girlfriend to start packing up whatever she could and that we were leaving right now. We packed up everything of value, left the tent and a few other items, and headed back to the trail in the middle of the night. I kept hearing people talking off in the woods and hearing branches snap for quite some ways. I kept looking back every few seconds to make sure nobody was coming up on us. It was completely nerve-wracking. If something happened, we were still a long way from anywhere to get any help at all. Since we had not seen another hiker the entire time we had been out here, I really felt like we were in danger. We had been walking for quite some time when I heard something in the woods behind us. As we rounded a corner, I turned and saw someone step out onto the trail and just stand there watching us. It was just as the sun was coming up and barely any light, 
I could not make out any features, just the silhouette. And I stopped and looked at them for a second and asked them who they were and what they wanted, and they just stood there silently, watching us, and then turned back and walked into the woods. We picked up the pace and kept going. Looking back every so often, we did not see them again, but my gut told me they were still there for quite a while. We eventually reached the end of the trail and got to where we had parked my girlfriend's car, extremely exhausted. We made it out of the Virginia woods without being a meal for a clan of cannibalistic, inbred hillbillies, which is what I pictured happening in my head that whole time. I have no idea who they were or what they wanted. Maybe it was someone just messing with us. Maybe it really was a clan of deformed hillbillies who were hunting us. I will never know, because I will never be returning to find out. Today, we're welcoming a new sponsor to the show. Welcome, IP Vanish. So, what is IP Vanish, you ask? IP Vanish is a virtual private network, a VPN for short. A VPN is a super important tool that helps you safely browse the internet. You can use a VPN on your computers, tablets, phones, even things like your Fire Stick when you're streaming media. When you use a VPN, all your data is encrypted. What you're reading, what you're searching, what you're watching, whatever it is you're doing, IP Vanish is just $3.49 a month. For just $3.49 a month or $27.99 a year, you can help protect your online privacy and security. Here's everything you get with IP Vanish. You get anonymous IP addresses. This means your personal IP address can't be tracked by anyone on the web. You can circumvent any online censorship. IP Vanish has more than 1,500 servers in 70 or more locations. Get protection when using public Wi-Fi. Remember, with IP Vanish, all your data is encrypted so no one can snoop on what you're doing no matter where you are. So make sure you head on over to ipvanish.com swamped. Claim your 65% savings. They have plans starting at just $349 a month or $27.99 a year. This is the time to sign up because with our discount and their current promotional offerings, you get a VPN for 65% off their usual offering. IP Vanish is the best of the best even rated 4.7 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot, and that's with more than 6,000 reviews. So show those guys some love. Remember, it's ipvanish.com swamped to get the deal to start protecting yourself online today. My encounter with the unknown occurred on the slopes of the Blue Ridge Mountains in the Linville Gorge Wilderness back in October of 2017. It was me and my brother trucking it along the Forest Service Road that leads to a few camping spots and spur trails. The Forest Service Road led to a place known as Wiseman's View, a place of mystery and beauty. We made our way along the road looking for spots to camp. Most of the spots were either taken or overgrown with vegetation. To note, our cell service was not the best. We finally decided to pull off. My brother spoke up and said, Hey, look, there's a trail. To the far right of the pull-off parking lot was a single trail. It looked like a hiking trail that led into the wilderness. I pulled the car in tight, began unpacking, and gearing up to hike in. I and my brother 
made our way along the trail with no issues. We got down to the Linville River and began looking for camping spots to hang our hammocks. After we settled in for a while, I decided I needed to make a call or two. The problem was, there was no service, not even a bar. I yelled over to my brother, who was fishing a little bit upriver, to let him know I needed to run to my car and get better service to make those calls. He acknowledged, and I went up the trail towards my car. The hike was filled with sounds of birds chirping and insects humming. I started to get lost in the moment because it was just so humble and nice out. All of those nice, pleasant thoughts suddenly ceased, though. The forest. It was suddenly silent. Like grave silence. What? I said as I slowed my pace and continued. The air grew heavy, almost damp. I got the feeling I was being watched, looking in all directions for anything or anyone. I saw nothing. The silence continued for just a few minutes, then returned as if someone pushed play on a paused movie. Okay, that was freaking weird. I said out loud as I picked up my pace and continued. Finally, I made it to my car after some time. I sat inside my car for quite a while, talking with my friend on the phone and telling him about the weird experience I had just had. He kind of made fun of me, and we both laughed about it. After I finished talking on the phone with my friend, I reached in my glove box for my pistol. I usually brought it with me for protection. I racked around and stepped back out onto the trail once again. The sounds of the forest were alive. The sun is out, not a cloud in the sky. I smile, and I made my way along the trail back to camp. Once again, the sound stopped. It was like it was paused, dead silent once more. Okay, what is really going on here? As that last word left my mouth, I heard it. It was a very heavy, very interesting, almost dragging sound. It was like something was dragging something heavy through the twigs and leaves, snapping them as if it were coming down the mountain. I have never run so fast down a mountain in my life. To this day, I do not know what I encountered. I never technically saw anything, but I have a strong feeling it was some sort of cryptid. Maybe a Bigfoot, maybe something else. Thank you for sharing my encounter. This is a true story. Not one of the details I will mention is made up or fabricated. It may not sound strange to you considering the crazy stories you are used to, but believe me, this was one sure strange story. I believe this might be of extraterrestrial variety. It was terrifying, and I have never been so scared in my life. So in this contribution, I will go by Jim. I am overly excited to share this true story with the world, and thank you for the opportunity to do so. A couple of years ago, out on a mini weekend vacation with my girlfriend Vanna, we had probably the strangest occurrence that we have ever not been able to explain. In the summer of 2018, I and my girlfriend loved to go exploring around the Blue Ridge Mountains and streams of eastern Tennessee and western North Carolina. It was our escape from the world being both nature lovers. We loved the freedom of the forest and spent many a night in the car or camping away from civilization and have never had anything scary happen to us. 
It is safe to say that after this happened, we cut out wilderness outings to almost zero compared to every single weekend. Not how it was before, that's for sure. We were, and still are, freaked out. It happened to us extremely late one night around 3 or 4 in the morning. We actually live in the Smoky Mountains and decided to take an overnight joyride over the mountains somewhere on the Blue Ridge Parkway. We pulled off every overlook just to look around. There was no traffic and no lights up there. It was beautiful. My girlfriend and I are super in love and never thought anything would terrify us and ruin our beautiful getaway as badly as it did that night. At one pull-off, we got out and were looking at the stars together. As we were looking at the sky, every star was visible and burning brightly. We were in such a moment of peace with no traffic or anyone around for miles, just us in the dark sky. When all of a sudden, the stars we were looking at started moving in different directions. Just to disclose this, we were not on drugs and we had not been drinking. The stars started moving in all directions. The feeling was not one of fear, but one of great peace as we stared at them floating around in the sky. It was quite simply beautiful. We watched for a few seconds until a sound from the forest down the ridge broke us out of our peaceful silence. It sounded robotic and sort of alien. Like if a robot could growl while saying womp womp, this would be the sound we heard. We did not look at each other. We did not signal each other. We just ran like hell as fast as we could to jump in the car. I cut my arm on the rain visor jumping into the car. We knew we had to get away, far away, but the beauty turning into terror was just the beginning. We were alone and flooring it off the mountain, driving back towards a town when we saw headlights behind us. It was a company van of some kind. Neither of us remembers the riding on the side of the van. We got into town and stopped and so did the van. We saw the outline of the man in the van and he followed us. Intuitively, I stopped to see if he would stop, and sure enough, he stopped and pretended to work in his van. We took off only to finally realize we lost him. After driving for a little while longer, we made sure he was lost. We hit the interstate making sure he was not behind us once more. At the next rest stop, we decided to stop to refresh ourselves and regain our composure. Neither of us really saying anything except what the heck was that all about? When from the other direction comes that same exact van, with the same man at the wheel, which was impossible unless two twins were driving the same truck from each of our directions, which is very unlikely, almost impossible odds, it was the same guy. He glanced at us and was obviously trying to pretend he was not following us. I jumped out of the car to yell and demand an explanation from them, but an overwhelming fear enveloped me all of a sudden. I loved being a tough guy in front of my girl, but I had a sinking feeling that I would be better off if we ran. So that's exactly what we did. At this point, we were so freaked out we drove to the next Walmart and stayed the night in the parking lot where there were lights and other people in safety. I did not see any more duplicated vans or stars moving or robotic alien voices from then on. But something was trying to take us, and we were lucky enough to get away. Thank you for hearing our story. To this day, we have no idea what those stars were doing, what that sound was, what that duplicated van and man were. I cannot say, but we both get chills from the events and have drastically, sadly decreased our joy rides almost to none.
whatever made that sound, whatever the hell that was. I don't know. I still have nightmares about it to this day. Thank you again for sharing our story. A couple of years ago, I went hiking alone on different trails on the Blue Ridge Parkway. For some reason, I thought it would be okay for a 20-something woman to go alone. Stupid, I know. I always wanted to visit Mount Mitchell, so I made the trek up there. This was on a Monday, so there were not a ton of visitors. The path to the summit is paved, so it's a fairly easy walk, but it is a bit steep. I was a smoker at the time, so I was quite out of breath. I finally got to the top and stood there, trying to catch my breath. I see someone step awfully close to me into the corner of my eye. I look up and it's a man, probably in his late 40s, with greasy, dark brown hair. He says, hey, I noticed you took a while to get up here, and you're breathing really hard. Are you okay? I was kind of taken aback. But I replied saying I was fine and that I'm just a smoker, and I kind of laughed to make light of the situation. He just stood there, looking at me, so I made a little nod to let him know I was going to walk away. I walked over to the podiums that show you the direction you are looking, and what mountains and cities are the way in that distance. He followed me. He started talking out of nowhere about how he had recently been divorced and was part of a men's group that traveled around the country to lots of famous tourist spots. He asked where I was from, and I reluctantly told him. He proceeded to tell me intimate details of why he got divorced. He told me he suspected his wife of cheating on him, so he hid in the closet one night and caught her and a co-worker in bed together. He grumbled. They both paid dearly for that night. I tried to make it visibly obvious that I was uncomfortable but he kept talking and asking me questions without pausing to let me even answer. I concluded that he was simply lonely and wanted someone to talk to. Then I realized there was no one else with him the entire time, and I had not noticed any other men with him, or any men's group at all for that matter. But maybe they split up and went their separate ways for a while. At any rate, I became increasingly more nervous, so I let him know I was going to head back down to the gift shop. Again, he started following me. There are lots of trails that branch off from the main path to the summit, but I was not interested in going to any of these places with this guy, especially being so out of breath. I was not walking with the man now, but he was following me. He called out to me loudly, Hey! I turned around and he was grinning ear to ear. His hair somehow looked even greasier. He said, Why don't we go walking on one of these trails? I could show you a really good time. I replied, no thank you, sternly. I looked to my left, and there were two elderly women sitting on a bench. I realized they had been watching us. One of the women called to the man, I think it's time the young lady gets going now. I gave her a soft smile and a nod. I turned around and walked at a brisk pace down the road. Passing the gift shop, going straight to my car, the man had not followed me luckily. That was my last hike of the day and I'm glad that nothing worse happened while I was alone. I do not go on outings like that by myself anymore, and I would highly suggest anybody listening to this show always take a hiking buddy.
This goes way back to 1977, when I was 18 years old. My boyfriend Mike was almost 20. We lived near the Blue Ridge Mountains in the George Washington National State Forest in Virginia. This was a beautiful place that we frequented often during all seasons. We went backpacking, did day hikes, inner tubing, and canoeing. One summer day, after packing a picnic lunch and grabbing our suits, we drove his red Mopar muscle car to a spot near a small river, and the hike would only be about a mile. The path, though narrow, was well maintained and on a slight decline most of the way. The temperature cooled a bit as the forest closed around us. While we hiked further in from the road, finding the perfect spot, a blanket was spread out right on the banks of the constantly babbling brook. After the hike, a dip in the water was first on our agenda, so we obliged. At the spot we had chosen, the water was up to our knees, so we managed to cool off well enough. We decided to have some of our goodies, simple things like cheese, fruit, and of course a knife to slice our edibles. Resting as lovers do, we stretch out in the blanket and embrace one another. Eventually, we stopped paying attention to our surroundings. Suddenly, Mike became uneasy. He said he felt like we were being watched. I scoffed at him and sat up, cross-legged, facing the river. He mimicked my movements. But he was tense, still listening. There was a sound. I heard it now. It was not a forest noise. It wasn't like twigs snapping or leaves rustling. It was a broken rhythm of the river's flow. No more babbling, more like plops and splashes. The sound was so out of place neither of us seemed to be able to recognize what it could be. Then suddenly, he appeared, walking down this shallow, rock-filled river. He was 5'8", medium build, dark hair, and totally naked, except for his black, high-top Converse shoes. Mike and I were totally shocked and almost found it funny. The guy seemed incredibly surprised to see us, covering his crotch and immediately squatting. He appeared to be quite embarrassed and said he did not realize anyone was around. Being young and naive and kind people as well, we tried to ease this man's discomfort by chatting a bit, trying to make a weird situation a little less weird. At this point, I am still not feeling any danger from this man until he invites himself to our picnic, gets out of the river, walks to our blanket, and crouches down between me and Mike. My eyes are wide as I look into Mike's eyes while this guy keeps chattering, then picks up our knife and starts dropping blade first into the dirt, picking it up and repeating this action over and over, the whole time not looking at either of us just at the knife. Mike looks at me and with head movements conveys that I need to gather everything immediately. As I begin, Mike grabs a knife from the guy, who seems startled at the sudden flourish of activity. I have everything in hand. Mike gives me the knife and guides me in front of him as he grabs a large and solid branch from the forest floor. We are walking very quickly and the guy is following, telling us to wait up for him. I walk right by his clothes, turns out he had been watching us all along, and decided to strip and go in the water. After we see his clothes so close to where we were, we began rushing up the path to the parking lot. This guy fell a bit behind as he stumbled and hopped while putting on his clothes. Staying in forward motion as to not lose us. We got to the parking lot, and the doors were locked, slowing us down. The guy is begging, practically crying, that we go to his house and party. We jump in the car, lock the doors, 
and get the heck out of there. The entire time, the guy is still right at my window, telling me I would like the partying at his farmhouse, and I would like his 12-year-old daughter. We are still totally ignoring him, not saying a word, and Mike hits the gas pedal hard and sprayed a shower of gravel on our creeper as we drove away. I don't know what's going on with the water in the Blue Ridge Mountains, but definitely don't drink it because it's making people act straight weird. I'm starting off by saying this may not be paranormal, but I absolutely cannot explain what happened and I'm struggling to understand. I am also still super anxious right now, even though it happened hours ago. Me and my boyfriend like to do random stuff at night, so I suggested we go on the Blue Ridge Parkway. Keep in mind, it was about 9.45. We drive for a little bit and go across a medium-sized bridge. If you're driving at 45 miles per hour, you could cross it in maybe a little under a minute, and we would see a man just kind of standing near the edge of the bridge, kind of looking off in the distance on the bridge. I get a little concerned because people don't usually take walks on the Blue Ridge Parkway at almost 10 p.m., or even in general, and then stop on the side of a bridge and just look off. I then tell my boyfriend we should turn around because I don't want him to jump or anything. We turned around, and we are about two to three minutes away from the bridge at this point. We turn around and head back in that direction. I get a super bad wave of anxiety, just really bad vibes. We drive by the spot he was, and he was gone. I was, of course, terrified because, you know, where did he go? Where could he have gone? We get to the other side of the bridge, and there he is, staring into the woods, on the complete opposite side of the bridge, maybe like a 20-foot walk away from the end of the bridge. There are no trails over there, and I would also like to mention it is very thick woods. He was wearing a backpack and a hat, I believe, and he was just standing there, facing away from the road so we could not really see any of his facial features. So... We drive back to turn around and leave the parkway to go home, and we fully expected to see him standing in a different spot or the same spot staring off into some odd place again. But he was gone. Either this was some strange coincidence that perfectly aligned to seem creepy as hell, or I just experienced something really weird. What freaks me out the most is that we never once saw him move at all. He just stared at nothing, and I am freaked out and also concerned about this guy. What if he jumped? What if something happened to him? I just want to know if he is okay, or what the heck was going on out there. I know people in my town are tweaking sometimes, but it did not really seem like that. The dude was just standing straight up, staring off, and then just disappeared. There were no side roads around that he could have walked on either. I would also like to mention that we were a bit away from people as well. Probably a 15-minute drive to the nearest town on the parkway. It was really bizarre and creepy to see a guy late at night being that deep into the parkway, especially if he had walked. About a month ago, I moved into the house near the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. It is very secluded. Everything was great up until about a week ago when strange things started to happen. Not like paranormal, but just strange. So, I knew moving in that I would have about one acre to myself, which is nice. The acre itself is just about all thick, dense woods. Towards the back, you cannot even go any deeper because the land is too rigid and the trees block a clear path of sight into anything. 
Now I live alone in this tiny house at the moment. My brother and his dog are moving in in just a couple of weeks. The house is small and its basement has a sliding door to the backyard, which has a little tiny picket fence and could be knocked down completely if someone was to just let the wind blow on it, to be honest. I decided I would start fixing it up for my brother's dog until he becomes well-trained enough to know when to come back home and stuff. This is when the first creepy thing happened. I left to go to Lowe's to just buy some basic wood for a fence, just enough to make sure the dog could not leap over it if he tried. As I was coming back home, I noticed a man on my doorstep looking inside my house through the side window. Even though any person could have heard me pulling into my driveway, he did not even flinch at all, even when I slammed my car door shut. Eventually, at this point, I kind of uneasily said, Can I help you? To which the man replied, I'm just your neighbor and I wanted to say hello. I went out of my way to put the wood I was carrying in my hand on the ground and went to shake his hand and he did not even move again. He just stared at my hand. After this very weird encounter, I was more of just done with him. So I said that I was very busy, I was fixing my fence, and that it would be nice to meet him on another day. He stayed at the front of my house for about another two minutes watching me put all my wood inside. He was looking into and around my house in the process. Creeped out at this point, I closed the door in his face and went about my business. About two days later, after fixing my fence, another woman, this one looking nicer and having put a little appearance into her look, greeted me kindly and told me about herself. Now, I will call her Mrs. H. Mrs. H was just explaining how people do not normally move around here, and I was the first in about 11 years to move in. She went on to explain the rest of my neighbors, whom I knew were around, and that most of them liked to stay to themselves. After a pleasant talk with Mrs. H, I asked her about the man from two days ago. Now, this guy was about six foot. He was old, but not too old, probably mid-fifties, had brown eyes, was in decent shape, and had gray hair. Mrs. H. went on to explain that that person who lived here before me was a widow and her teenage daughter, who she homeschooled, had left because this perv started to stalk her daughter. More nonsense was said, and she eventually left, and that was that. Last night, though, I heard tapping on my window at exactly 2.37 a.m. I know this because I looked at my clock. Now, my window is a good four feet above the actual ground, and I figured... It was just a bird or something at first, so I attempted to go back to bed. No less than two minutes after silence, the tapping came back, but this time turned into three loud bangs. Immediately, I ran to the closet and grabbed my hunting twenty-two and hid behind my bed. Peeking over, I saw a figure looking into it. After being scared out of my soul for about thirty seconds, the familiar voice of that perv shouted, I need your help. Not knowing what to do, I threw my curtain open, and the only thing between his forehead and my twenty-two was a half an inch thick glass of window. He then did not say a word. Not a don't shoot, not a I still need help, nothing. He then pointed behind him to the fence I was building. I then ran outside to see what he wanted, with the gun on him the entire time. I said, what is wrong? And he said nothing, but pointed to the fence again. I looked, and this time I saw the fence... It had seemed to be run over by a car with mud tracks stomping and then reversed over in the grass. I looked at the 50-something-year-old's car, whom which its tires were dirty and had tracks coming from my backyard. Pissed at what I saw, I yelled at him, What the actual hell are you doing? 
and then put my finger on the trigger of the twenty-two, which he finally replied, Your fence. He then got back into his car and left, all while I still had the twenty-two pointed at him. It is currently 3 p.m. on March 2nd, and I have scrapped the entire fence idea out of sheer exhaustion and fear. This has all really happened and is currently happening. I will keep you guys updated with the situation, and I have not contacted the police quite yet because I don't know if he meant to run into my fence or not. But either way, I have no idea why he was in my driveway, let alone in my property at all. I live in Alberta, Canada. The story takes place back in June of 2015. I was 28 years old and my fiancé was 32. I will call him Kay for this story. It was going to be an extremely hot day, for we had just purchased our first car after years of taking public transit and decided to go for an overnight trip to Jasper Park. To anyone that does not know, Jasper Park is a beautiful stretch of highway that runs through the foothills into the Rockies. I'm not sure what it is like in other countries, but here in the parks and wooded areas, it is not uncommon for people to pull off on the side of the highway and hike into areas for day trips or even to camp to avoid the overcrowded campgrounds. We had been on the road for about four hours, and I was starting to feel cramped when we came to an area with a beautiful glacier river running next to the highway. So we decided to pull off the road onto an old maintenance road that ran down what we thought was the train tracks that ran parallel to the road. The road was extremely overgrown and had railroad ties sticking up vertically about two feet out of the ground to block the road permanently. But they were spaced apart enough for an exceedingly small vehicle to get through. Well, our new car happened to be one of those tiny economy class cars so we decided to try and fit past the barrier. So Kay got out and directed me through the small opening in between the post, and to my surprise, we actually fit. He decided it would be best for him to walk in front of me and lead me through the overgrown path while I crept the car forward in case there were any more rocks or stumps that could damage the extremely low undercarriage of our new car. After about 15 feet into the road, the grass suddenly became taller than my car and the trees were thick and brushed up against the roof, and the path was dark with light at the end that indicated a clearing. Basically, it looked like something straight out of one of those corny, camping horror movies. But we decided to go forward anyway, and came upon a clear-cut line. These lines were cut out by the government as surveying gas lines. Anyways, we went about 50 feet into the clearing that was surrounded by thick trees on all sides. After finding a flattish area where we could make a makeshift camp, Kay decided to go and try to find where the river ran closest so we could go stick our feet in and cool down. I voiced concern about the bears in the area and wanted to keep the bear spray with me, so he took his wood axe with him. Side note, most people around here don't really have guns other than hunting rifles due to our gun laws, and due to this, we did not have anything other than a bear spray pocket knives, and an axe for potential defense. I decided to start digging out our tent and to look for a spot to set it up for the night. 
Kay was gone for about five minutes when I heard what looked like another vehicle close by. I honestly did not think anything of it at the time, thinking, who else could possibly fit their car through there? So, I brushed it off and continued what I was doing. But at the same time, moving my can of bear spray out of my backpack to just inside my trunk where I could grab it in a matter of seconds if needed. Just in case. After another minute or so, I just happened to look in the direction of the road that led us to the clearing. And, to my surprise, I see a man walking towards me. He looked about 35 to 40 years old, with a ball cap and dirty blue, reflective coveralls on. You know, the ones you see the oil rig guys wear. After the complete shock of seeing someone, I started to notice I could not see his face that well, but he had on a baseball cap of some sort and shaved with a scruffy beard. He was walking directly towards me, and he had his hands in his pockets. I started to panic a little and immediately called out for Kay and for him to get back here. I hear him yell something off in the distance, but I refuse to take my eyes off the stranger who is now less than 20 feet away from me. Now I should mention that the area is known for hunting, but it was not the season. He reaches me and stops about 5 feet away. Being the friendly person I am, I smiled and said, Hi, I did not expect to see anyone here. He looks at me from head to toe and stands there for what feels like forever and then says, uh, Hello, what brings you here? His tone was very blank, and not giving anything away. I say, my fiancé and I were just looking for a place to pop the tent up for the night. He freezes at the mention of my fiancé. He looks around as he hears Kay coming through the woods to the right of us. The stranger still gawking at me. He does not move as Kay comes out of the tree line with his axe propped up on his shoulder. Kay looks at me and then the stranger, and he immediately speedwalks to my side, and being the cautious overly protective guy he is, he says, Hey man, is there something I can help you with? No, I was just checking my trail cams. The guy then looks at Kay assessing him and glaring at his axe. I ask him, Oh, so you know the area? Do you know if it's okay to camp here for the night? He looks directly at me and says, Yeah, as long as you don't have a fire or anything, and once in a while service trucks do come down here to survey. I say thanks for the heads up and I smile. He will not stop looking at me at this point. Kay sees this and decides he has had enough and says again, Is there something you needed? The guy finally stops looking at me long enough to answer. I was in here checking my trail cams and got a flat on my jeep. He indicates to the bumper of his jeep that is visible through the bush. He continues, I tried changing it to my spare, but I have custom wheels and cannot get the nuts off of the tools I have. Now to be honest, everyone in Alberta definitely knows that if you have a custom truck or go off-roading, you always carry the proper tools. This was alarm number one. Kay and I walk closer to get a better view of his vehicle and note that it is one of those jacked up off-road jeeps with the engine snorkel and everything. I remember the alarms going off in my head yelling at me that this is really weird. Even I carry the tools needed to switch out my tires and I don't even have a fancy car. At this point, I notice his jeep is blocking the only entrance into the clearing. I proceed to say, um, I'm sorry, but as you can tell I only have a small car and my tire iron is only big enough to fit the nuts from my 15 inch wheels. I don't think we'll be able to help you. The guy starts to look annoyed as Kay and I start to move back to our car. The guy follows us back to our car then says, well could she possibly give me a lift to Jasper to get help? I immediately start to panic and say, 
Well, my car is packed to the roof with our camping gear. I am one of those overpackers that has something for every situation, regardless of whether I need it. I am not unloading all my stuff and leaving it here in the woods. The guy starts to get agitated, shifting back and forth in place. He then says, It would only be a couple of hours and your fiancé could stay here with your stuff then. I'm about to say no and Kay very plainly says, I am not letting her drive alone with you and leave me here in the woods. The guy looks at Kay and says, Please, I just need a ride into town or at least to somewhere where I can get a cell reception. Note, there is no reception in most of Jasper Park unless you have a booster or a satellite phone. Even then, it's very patchy service, and the closest town is Jasper itself, which was at least two hours away. He continues to try to get me to drive him by myself for another five minutes before we both get visibly irritated. Kay then says as calmly as he can, Sorry man, you're going to have to walk out to the road and hail someone down. Now the guy is mad and takes one last look at me and turns around and walks towards the road. After he's out of sight, Kay and I immediately pack up the car and start to turn around and head for the clearing. As we pull up to where his jeep is, where it's blocking the access to the road, both Kay and I get out to investigate his jeep. He did not have a flat. There was nothing wrong with his jeep at all. Kay decides to look in the back seat through the tinted windows. He suddenly panics and says we need to get out of there. I do not question him and get in the driver's seat. While Kay takes his axe and clears the brush on the side of where the jeep is blocking the exit, after about 10 minutes of pulling weeds, branches, and rocks, we make a space big enough to creep through. It took us another five minutes to creep through the overgrown access back out of the highway. As we are pulling up to the highway, we can see the creep down. He's hitchhiking. Kay says just drive in the opposite direction. So we drove for about 15 minutes and decided to double back and see if he was still there. As we came up to the access again, we noticed he is no longer on the side of the highway. So we pull into the access road again where the makeshift barrier was and immediately notice the jeep is gone. Kay freaks out and we back out of there and drive 45 minutes up the highway to a new spot. We find a nice calm area directly next to the highway where we can access the river. We hang out for a couple of hours while all the time keeping an eye out for that creepy guy. We kept hearing twigs snapping behind us in the overgrowth, but due to the events that day, we decided to, you know, not go investigate. I finally start to relax a little bit and enjoy the sweltering heat. Around 6pm it was starting to get dark because the mountains were blocking the sun, so Kay decides it's time to pack up and leave. I remind him that I had a couple of beers while sitting at the river, so I needed a nap before we go anywhere. He agrees and we go sit in the car, which we had parked on a little makeshift rest area. We hunker down and I try to doze off for a little while. Kay suddenly jerks up and says, Did you hear that? Groggy from just passing out. No, what's going on? Kay says, be quiet. By this time, it is pitch black all around us. Suddenly, I hear it. The crunch of gravel and twigs as if someone was walking in wide circles around us. We look at each other, then hear it again, as this time it's closer and to the front of the car. I squint as hard as I can and then immediately turn the key and turn on the lights. To our surprise, there's no one there. Without saying anything, I decide I had rested enough and my adrenaline was coursing through me. I turned the engine over and threw the car into reverse and headed back down the highway towards home. After somewhere around 20 minutes of driving and nerve-wrenching silence, I was constantly checking our mirrors the entire time to see if anyone was following us. I break the silence and ask the question that has been bugging me. So now that we are out of there, 
What was in the back seat of his Jeep that made you so freaked out? Kay looks at me, worry etched on his face, not normal for him at all. He takes a deep breath and says, It was hard to see due to the tint, but I could make out a hunting rifle, which is not out of the ordinary for here. But, most disturbingly, there was a roll of duct tape, rope, and a tarp. After seeing that, Kay freaked out realizing this guy wanted more than just a ride from us. I know this may not be scary to most people, but to me this was one of the most terrifying events in my life. This has not stopped us from going out and enjoying the beauty and nature of the Canadian Rockies, but we are much more cautious. I have always been interested in the urban legend stuff. Creepy stories, monsters, cryptids, whatever. I was born in Minnesota, but I have lived in Montana for pretty much all of my life. Pretty much the Yellowstone area. My family is super into the outdoors, camping, hiking, backpacking, hunting, fishing, etc. We are basically the poster child family for that sort of thing. We are regulars in Yellowstone and Glacier, and the whole Rocky Mountain area. We frequently travel for our camping trips. If we go out of state, it's usually not extremely far, like Idaho, Wyoming, or Colorado. Recently, we have been fond of the Island Park area in Idaho. I cannot tell you why, probably for the fishing, camping, and ATV access, but we are pretty new regarding that area, and we have only really been spending time down there for about two years now. So far, I have a lot of stories from Island Park that I can share later. There is some weird stuff down there. I do not really know if anything has ever happened there or a lot about the history, so if anyone does know, please comment down below. That'd be great. For those of you that have never heard of Island Park or have never been there, here is a brief explanation. In my opinion, it is one of the strangest places in the Northwest. So weird because it is home to a lot of landmarks and sites. It's called a city, but it is essentially just a long road, think of the main street in a major town, that runs through Targhee National Forest, and from this main road are several trails, roads, and accesses where you can find campgrounds and other things. There are a few large neighborhoods where you can rent out cabins and such, but I don't know many people that live there full time. The ATV trails run everywhere. There is really no town area. But everything that is civilized is found off the main road, including a particularly good Mexican restaurant. So, you'd be on one side of the road for days at a time and not see another person or another gas station for miles. Do not get me wrong, it is a beautiful area with good fishing and it is nice if you want to get away from everyone. But it is a very sketchy area at the same time. There is nothing wrong with it and I would definitely recommend visiting it. The people there are friendly and it is a good atmosphere. I just get an unsettling feeling there at times. For example, there are parts in the forest where every tree looks the same and it is dead quiet, which makes me shiver. It reminds me of that story or joke a while back that Idaho is not real and the government made it up. It makes me laugh every time because Island Park gives off that vibe. Okay, I'm getting carried away. As I said, I have tons of stories about this place. So, my family and I were camping at the Upper Coffee Pot a campground far in the back of the forest, right on Henry's Fork, a beautiful spot. We were at the head of the campground, 
so right next to our spot is a trailhead and another spot adjacent to us. All the other camping spots are down the road in the opposite direction. The trail is exceptionally long, like it follows the riverbank the entire time, but it goes all the way up to Trout Hunters, a local spot for guides up to the road 11 miles from the campground. This trail connects to everything. Again, I need to remind myself to focus on the story. On this day, we were hanging around camp, just fishing and being lazy. Sometime around 3 o'clock, my dad and sister and I decided to go up for a hike just up the trail for fun. We get all geared up and throw on our jackets and shoes. The trail is well carved out. You could do it in flip-flops if you had to. We did not grab bear spray, but my dad grabbed a headlamp because, like I said, it's a heavily used area and we didn't plan on being out all that long. We head out and we are chatting and laughing. I have no idea exactly how far we made it. According to my dad, we were close to trout hunters. Looking back on it, now that I have hung around that area more, that was probably not true. Eventually, it starts to get dark and we turn around. Nothing out of the ordinary had happened, but still, anyone knows you do not want to be out miles from signs of people with no bear spray and one light. It gets dark quickly, and there is no moon that night. We are trying to save the headlamp battery in case we really need it, so we are going along in the dark, watching the river, and warning each other, hey, there's a stump right there and watch out for that dip. All of you who are avid hikers or have been outside at night know exactly what I'm talking about. And you also know, things feel quite different once it's dark. Now I'm not a wuss, I'm a tough chick. Growing up as the oldest out of three girls in my family with parents that raised us to be strong, educated outdoors enthusiasts, but even I have my limits and I am unfortunately the first one to get uneasy or worried about something. But on the opposing end of that, my feelings are normally right. So my family knows to listen to me when I say it's about to go down. So naturally, I start to get uneasy, and I'm starting to get antsy. I start questioning my dad about how much further we have to go. Did you bring matches? Blah blah blah. We have no idea what time it is or how long we've been out. None of us had our watches on from fishing earlier, and like I said, Time is cruel in the dark. I try to distract myself from every noise I hear by talking and focusing on the path I can barely see in front of me. I am getting nervous because my brain and internal clock think there is no way we should still be hiking. We should be back by now. My mind is running rampant. Who knows, it's thinking about this and that, and the more realistic dangerous bears and angry bull moose that could be around. My dad is getting anxious too and decides to turn the headlamp on to offer some security. We all know there is only one way we're going to get back, and that's to continue walking. But none of us were particularly happy about that current situation, which involved no protection, which was our mistake because of being lazy. But none of us were particularly happy about the current situation, which involved no protection, which was our mistake, of course, for being lazy about our gear and undermining the time of the day. Soon, we can see lights from the campfires in the distance, but they are faint, small specks of light, and we guess we have about three more bends to go before we will enter the vicinity of the camp. That is about when I got the feeling. I get goosebumps and shiver for a second. Then, from behind us comes this scream. It is very distant, but trust me, anyone can recognize a scream. I have heard a lot of animal sounds in my life, and a lot of them are wacky, but this sounded like a rabbit scream. I do not know if you have ever heard a rabbit scream, 
but it's genuinely terrifying. That sound should not come from a small, cute, furry animal. We all stop in our tracks and are silent for a minute. Soon my dad turns to us and says a coyote or something probably spooked the rabbit. I nod and shiver again, and we continue, all a bit on edge. We go about 30 paces ahead and I stop and I get this feeling of dread mixed with terror that shoots down my body. And I'm thinking, no, 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 no. I do not know why, but I cannot move, and it was probably because of what happens next. Maybe about 20 yards back, I hear this strange cry come from behind me. I cannot describe it very well because I have never heard anything like it. It was a low whisper, like a sort of screech followed by a rustle and a faint laugh. And I know that sounds silly, but when I say laugh, I do not mean like a chuckle or the Joker's laugh. I mean more like a chant. Like two of the same words repeated in a rhythmic fashion. Note that the sound is very faint and low, but I can still hear how close it is. At this point, I'm running to catch up with my sister and my dad, nearly wetting my pants. Getting out of there as fast as humanly possible. Who knows what else is out there, and I'm pretty much scaring myself at this point instead of being rational. I catch up to them, and my sister is pale as a ghost. I ask her if they heard the sound, and she goes, You mean the rustle followed by the growl? Yeah. My dad looks at me and motions for us to keep going. I asked him if he has ever heard anything like that before, and he says it was probably just the same thing we heard before. I kind of got the sense he was lying, but I did not want to say anything because he was acting calm and it kind of calmed me down a bit. We continue around the next bend for a while. Suddenly, we all freeze because there is a rustle a couple of feet in front of us. My dad turns the headlight off, and we all stand there, standing still, holding our breath, not moving a muscle. If it was a bull moose, you do not want to catch him by surprise, so we were all waiting it out. After a minute or so and no other sound, we continued. My dad is shining the lamp on the ground, and then he comes to a sudden halt. My sister and I want to know what is going on, so we take a look. On the ground were footprints. My dad gave a motion for us to be quiet, and we slowly followed them. They started out as a sort of spread out, long, almost human shape. Maybe they were a small bear or a big back foot of a rabbit or something. Now, not one of us were paying attention to where we were anymore. We were looking at the footprints, but my dad looks up and we are 10 feet away from the opening of the trailhead, about 20 feet away from our campsite. We can see my mother and other sisters sitting by the fire. We are all relieved to almost be back, so we are joking around and continue to look at the footprints. Obviously, we do not want some hobo following us to camp or whatever they belong to. The prints got smaller and more closely spaced. My dad said this was very strange. This is where the story really truly starts to get wacky. The prince started to resemble that of a deer or a small elk, and we were all confused. My dad suggested maybe the deer or elk came from the water, which caused the marks to look bigger than they actually were. How could they start to look human or bear-like and then turn into deer hooves, though? That is not even the strangest part. The longer we stood there, the more information flooded in. The prints were one set of deer hooves, so unless we miss something, deer have always had four legs. Soon the prints stopped, just stopped entirely. About five feet from the trailhead, they just vanished. My dad scanned the area. The footprints did not go off into the trees anywhere. They did not go around. 
It was like whatever made them had just disappeared at that point. My sister laughed and shrugged it off, saying maybe the two-legged deer could fly. I started to feel sick to my stomach. I think the mix of the dark, the weird sounds, and the impossible footprints got to me. I ran back to the camp and promptly puked into some shrubs. I somehow got to bed that night simply fine, but I was not okay with what we found earlier that night. I knew I was safe, but part of me knew something was not right about those tracks and those noises. My dad woke me up the next morning and told me our dear friend visited us last night. I jumped out of bed and went to have a look. Sure enough, there were more deer tracks around the trailer. For the rest of the time we were there, we did not see any more two-legged deer prints or human prints, and we never heard any more noises. I still think about those tracks disappearing from time to time, and how they changed, and that god-awful sound. I tell myself that it was just wet deer tracks, but I cannot fully convince myself. If anybody has any questions, please comment them down below. I'd love to see them. I'm very curious to know what this could have been. If you hear about any other experiences in Island Park, I would be glad to share. Narrator's note, I have had a few viewers recently send me trail cam pictures of deers walking and doing weird things on their hind legs. I'm definitely going to post some of those pictures, so definitely check my channel tab to see that. I have had a few paranormal-seeming experiences throughout my life. Nothing 100% confirmed, though. I am open-minded about it. But the one that stands out to me the most was a recent one, taking place in an Airbnb that I stayed in in Golden, Colorado. This was back in 2014. My husband and I were visiting Colorado and decided to stay in the Airbnb that was high up in the foothills of the Golden area in the Colorado Rocky Mountains. Golden is a beautiful town, old, and founded during the Pikes Peak Gold Rush of 1859. I have no idea of how old the house itself was, probably not incredibly old, but it sat on land right above a railroad line which felt ancient. The area had a few houses scattered around rocky cliffs with foliage. We found some random objects strewn about up in the rocks just down the road from the house. It was part of the property. I thought I had more photos, but I guess I must have deleted them. But I do have a few that I found recently. I did not touch any of them, just photographed them. We were there for maybe a week. There was this beautiful house with amazing views. I did not feel anything unusual vibe-wise, except that the house itself had only a few window blinds. Houses far enough apart from each other, so I guess I didn't really need that. I occasionally thought I could feel someone inside looking in, even in the daytime though there was never anyone there. Again, it wasn't really spooky vibes though. Anyway, the last night we were there, my husband passed out on the couch with a bit of altitude sickness. I was about 10 to 15 feet across the room, packing up our things for our flight the next morning. As I'm folding a shirt, I feel what feels like a hand slowly coming down under my right arm. Under my armpit, as if it were coming around to grab me or hug me. It was not in a hurtful way, but gently and playfully. I was surprised, so I jumped back, thinking it was my husband who spooked me. I immediately turned around, and he was still laying on the couch, completely passed out, not standing behind me at all. I was spooked enough that I woke my husband up, and I sat next to him and told him exactly what happened. I remember even him saying something like, 
I never do this, right? And he was like, no, you, you really don't. I felt very vulnerable, and it felt very real. It was fleeting, but real. My wife and I decided to make the drive to Colorado Springs on the recommendation of a friend of mine. She had never seen the mountains before, so I figured the Rockies would be perfect. We stayed in a Holiday Inn that was right at the base of the mountain, basically, and it had a great view of Pike's Peak. As soon as we looked out the window, we could see everything. She was thrilled. She had never seen anything like it before, and she is a sucker for a gift shop, so this place was great. We had a great time overall. On our second day, we decided to drive up to Pike's Peak, but we were told at the gate we could go up most of the way, but the summit was closed because there was too much snow. We could still go pretty far up though. I think Pike's Peak is around 14,000 feet, and we got to like 11,000 feet before it was closed off. So, we were above the clouds, which was an awesome experience, because it just looked like we were out over the ocean. We stopped at the little rest area on the way up to get hot chocolate for the drive and a magnet for Colorado since we collect them for every state that we go to. It was cool because we had Bigfoot crossing signs along the way up and it was fun to take pictures in front of those. Anyway, once we got to the closed off part of Pike's Peak, we parked our car on Got Out and just kind of took in the view. I did not think anybody else was up there with us, except... There was a guy a little way up sitting in his truck making sure people did not go up any higher than they were supposed to. Even if we could not go to the summit, it was still gorgeous. We took some pictures, all of which were terrible, and it was cold. But I insisted we buy 5'11 jackets, pants, and boots for the trek. My wife did not understand why I demanded that brand, but if you're a dude, you know. So, we were toasty. I wandered off and started to look around the rocks and what few trees were up at that elevation. I just like to explore stuff off the beaten path. I heard some snow crunching nearby and assumed it was just another sightseer. So, I moved toward the sound of the crunching snow, but oddly enough, I didn't see anybody. There are a few trees here and there, but not hard to really see. It was snowing a bit, however, and the wind was blowing the snow sideways. I had gone far from my wife at this point and did not want to stray too much farther but I was honestly hoping to see a wolf or something. I found tracks in the snow and they were small. The snow was kind of deep so I could not really tell what kind of animal made them, but it looked like a wolf. So, I was really hoping to see one. I did not see a wolf. At first, I did not see anything. I followed the tracks around a tree and kind of carefully peeked around it, but did not see a thing. The tracks stopped there though. I did not get right up on the tree because if it was a wolf, I mean, I did not want to get face to face with it. I'll also say, I have no idea if there are any wolves in the Rockies. I was just sort of hoping. What I did see, eventually, was a pure white thing scurry away from the exact location I was looking at. It was pure white. I'm not sure if it was invisible or just blended in perfectly with the snow. It moved on all fours, had a huge bulbous head kind of like what you would think of of a typical alien. It had a spindly body. Its arms and legs were super skinny, and its body was not a whole lot bigger. Its arms and legs themselves were long. I would say it was probably between four to five feet tall if it were standing upright. It was a bit hard to tell 
with it always being on all fours and in the snow. It turned around and looked at me. It had small black eyes and no defining features. Its eyes were far apart and almost on the side of its head. Its feet and hands were buried in the snow, but when it went to move, I saw what its hand looked like. It had fingers that were just way too long. Not like E.T. long, but wiry, spindly type fingers. It looked at me for just a second, and then leaped forward away from me as soon as it landed in the snow. It was invisible again. Or maybe, I just couldn't see it anymore. Then it started hopping again, and it jumped a good six feet or so from a dead stop. It then took off running. It ran away from me and scaled some rocks in the distance like it was nothing, and crawled along the cliffside. Whenever it was in the snow, it looked invisible. I'm not sure if that was because it was all white or basically if it was just turning invisible, I don't know. Anyway, in a few seconds it was gone. When I got back to my wife, she was waiting in the car and did not believe a word of it and thought I was just trying to scare her. To this day, she does not believe me, and I don't know what it was. I have never heard of any cryptid or anything like it, and on the trek back, I asked the lady at the gift shop if people ever reported seeing weird things, and she just mentioned Bigfoot. I used to work in forest maintenance and forest agriculture for quite a while. Some of my friends owned a big plot of land in the Rocky Mountains. A group of us, we were all guys between the ages of 18 and 38 years of age, would gather several times a year, go into the mountains for a couple of days and clear scrub brush, make fire breaks, and when appropriate, cut down Christmas trees. This time it was early spring and our crew of nine, on three gator four-wheel drive vehicles, was about 9,200 feet in elevation. There was a significant amount of snow on the ground. We had put in a long day's work and were headed back to camp, until the old guy of the crew asked if we wanted to head to the slope. This was a treeless slope, free of any large rocks about 100 yards wide, with tracks of big trees on either side. We would go there and, using one of the gators, tow a tube downhill in the snow, it was so much fun. We got to the slope, set up a fire pit, cracked open the whiskey, and started having our fun. We all took several turns being towed. Jeff was the new guy and the youngest at 18. We were giving him the craziest rides, swinging him close to trees to freak him out. A sort of initiation of sorts. It was about 1am, pitch black except for our dying fire and lightly snowing. Not the smartest or safest things I've ever done, but one of the most fun. Just as we were wrapping up the last of the rides and heading back to camp, Jeff freaked out. He was stumbling over his words and could not express himself very clearly. But finally, we got out of him that about three-fourths of the way down he had seen a man standing a few yards into the woods. He was wearing a trapper's hat, one of those with a flipped-up bill and ear flaps like in Fargo. This guy was also wearing a plaid mackinaw. We were all a bit skeptical. I mean, we were on a big plot of private property, at elevations of 9,000 plus feet in somewhat hostile weather. But we took the rifles off the gators and got our flashlights and gave it a look. We did not find anything. Not even footprints. We chalked it up to inexperience, spooky environment, and of course whiskey, and headed back to the camp about an eighth of a mile away. Jeff did not sleep all night. He was convinced he saw someone. The next morning, we drove the gators back to the house on the property, got in our trucks and headed into the little town nearby for breakfast. 
We had our breakfast and were heading back to the property to say our goodbyes and go our separate ways. As we neared the intersection of the public dirt road and the private dirt drive to the house, there were several police cars and an ambulance. We stopped to talk to the police who informed us the closest neighbors had found a body in the ditch as they were heading down the mountain. Police had followed in reverse footprints up the hill to the slope and then across a neighboring property to a perpendicular road. They asked if we knew anything about it, and of course we told them about the Mackinac man. Sure enough, it was him. A self-inflicted gunshot, probably just minutes after we encountered him. I still do not know what happened, or what he wanted, if we were in any danger, or what. But poor Jeff got his whiskey and meals paid for the next several weeks, but he still gets scuff about it to this day. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true Rocky Mountain Horror Stories. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future video, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I am always looking for more mountain range horror stories, whether it's from the Appalachian Mountains, the Rocky Mountains, the Ozarks, whatever. I'd love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a lot in the YouTube algorithm. If you're listening on iTunes or another podcast platform, give this show a 5-star rating as it truly helps me. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us and help us expand our ever-growing waters? Hit the subscribe button and be sure to turn on notifications to never miss a new video, as I upload them almost every single day, in all things natural and supernatural. If you're on the go and want to listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller Scary Stories wherever you go, you can download them absolutely free from iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and just about everywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. And like I said, it's absolutely free, and always will be. If you'd like to support the Swamp outside of hitting that like button and subscribing, maybe check out the merch store. I have face masks, t-shirts, hoodies, and much more for sale. Thank you guys, as always, for supporting the Swamp the way you do. I couldn't do this on a daily basis without you guys supporting. I'd love to know in the comments down below what story tonight was your favorite. This has been one of the longest viewer-submitted videos I've done in a long time, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. I'm going to try to keep the videos longer this year, so be sure to send in your stories at swampdweller.net. I'll see you guys soon with some more creepy stories from the mountains. My honey and I love the Appalachian Mountains, but looking back now, I will be more cautious there. There were two areas that my husband and I loved to walk on that had similar smells. One of the areas was in Cade's Cove. We wanted to see the John Oliver Cabin and decided to take the wooded route. There are two routes you can take. There are two routes that you can take towards the cabin, an open field and the wooded route. It was just the two of us on the trail. I would say the small route was about half a mile or so, maybe a bit longer. So it was an unbelievably beautiful walk, and we could hear a little rustling here and there along with birds chirping. Then we heard crows nearby. It sounded like the usual crow chat, 
What got my husband and I to two-step our pace was this heavy, muggy, almost skunk-like smell that seemed to be following us. I told my husband that it smelled like if a skunk had died and other animals died along with it, topped with a bad body odor. Then we heard a loud crack, and my husband said, Birds don't break tree branches in the woods. So we took off running until we saw the cabin and other people. It was so spooky. We ended up taking the open field route on our way back to the car. Okay. The second day or so, we headed back towards North Carolina to see some of the waterfalls. The hike towards the falls is about 1.7 meters or so. Again, truly short, but it was nothing but uphill. There were two ladies that were heading back and said the waterfall was incredibly beautiful, almost like a scene from Rivendell from Lord of the Rings. As my husband and I were hiking upwards, that same weird smell from a few days ago began to follow us again. My husband was about 30 feet ahead of me, so I made sure not to lose sight of him. No other weird things happened, just this absolutely horrid smell that would seem to follow us and then eventually fade after a while. I have no clue what it was or what kind of animal could give off that smell. I mean, I was raised in the country, so I know all kinds of smells, especially roadkill. This was no roadkill. Anyone else ever have similar experiences while hiking in the woods? I know this might not be the scariest story, but honestly, it's anomalous and it creeps me out not knowing what causes these smells and what makes them go away so suddenly. First and foremost, I am a non-believer in anything paranormal. I live deep in the Appalachian Mountains. I have never had any encounters with anything supernatural or otherwise. I want to keep this as short as possible. Last night I woke up to my dogs barking. As usual, I let them outside to do their thing. When I open my bedroom door, I step out into the hallway and immediately slip on the floor. One of my dogs had been literally crapping everywhere, running around the house barking, otherwise raising hell. I get up and get to the door to let them out and turn back afterwards towards the closet to get some cleaning supplies. I clean it up and get everything sorted back into the closet. I then let my dogs back inside the house. At this point, nothing too strange has happened. So I go and open the door and let the dogs in. Two of them come in right away. Charlie, the pooping dog, stays out near the perimeter of his electric fence, barking into the dark. I close the door back and go into the bedroom to clean myself up. I take off clothes, shower, and then take the clothes, which were old, so they were basically garbage, and I set them right outside the back door. When I do this, my third dog comes back inside, quickly. Still, at this point, nothing is wrong or out of order that I notice. I take a towel to a few spots around the house to get all the fecal matter. I decided to throw out the towel along with my pajamas. So I take the towel and head towards the back door. I grab the stuff I am throwing out all together in a small basket and head towards the trash bin. Yes, this is where things start to get weird. As I walk, I do notice it is pitch black outside and no light from inside is shining out since I had been asleep. I think as soon as I considered how dark it was, I began to hear the whistling. As soon as I hear the whistle, I hear Charlie inside the house barking going absolutely ballistic. I stopped to consider what it was. A bird, maybe? But it obviously was not. 
The whistle goes up and down in pitch with fluidity and stops at certain pitches. There is no rhyme or pattern to it that I can discern. I stopped walking as soon as I heard the whistle. As I said before, I do not believe in monsters or demons or anything like that. I do believe, however, that there are certainly sick humans. I listened for another few minutes before dropping the basket and briskly walking back inside, locking the door for good measure. I live in central North Carolina. I don't know if anybody has ever experienced anything like this, this phantom whistling. I slept with my sawed-off shotgun last night. I'm not sure what to think or what to do about it. So the following story happened around 2014 in the Appalachian Mountains of Pennsylvania. I was somewhere around 14 or 15 years old when I had this initial experience, and it left my mind until I began researching abductions and different paranormal entities. Everyone within my rural area lives in the forest and hunts religiously, and I am no exception to that rule. It was sometime in October, archery buck season, in Bedford, Pennsylvania. It was a normal evening of hunting at the base of the mountain in the swamps that my family owned. My dad was not near me at the time as he was on the opposite end, waiting for a large buck that he had been trying to ambush. I was sitting in my climber stand in a pine tree packed area with two trails running underneath me. It was still bright outside, and with just slight darkness to the area, enough that you could see a haze of flashlight yet still see clearly ahead without it. I was facing the mountainside so thick that pine trees mostly covered the sky from my view. I heard leaves begin to crackle, and suddenly roughly five or six deer ran full speed past my stand and back up the mountain. They came out of the pine saplings that lay in front of me, as if they came out of nowhere. It was at that moment a massive LED-looking light flashed and seemed to fill the sky above me. It was a bluish light and covered three to four treetops. As quickly as it flashed, it left, however, and when it left, everything turned dark. It was ridiculous to think that it turned dark that quickly, as I could not see the reflective side of my bow at that point. It was as if the sun just went out as soon as it went over the distant mountains on my back. I sat there dumbfounded, pondering what had happened for about 10 minutes before my dad came by on his side-by-side -side on the road. I left the stand that night weirded out by it, but I tried not to think much of it until the next day. I woke up with a cold sore in my left eye, which is not unusual for me, as it happened all the time due to sunlight or stress. I got dressed and went to school, but as the day went on, I began to get a bad headache. I made it to lunch when a lunch lady, who was a friend, looked at me bewildered. I had not noticed, but on the right side of my head, it was swollen severely. It was sticking out a good half inch. Almost, it seemed to be giving me a lopsided appearance. She told me to go to the nurse's office quickly. I went to the nurse's suite, and she promptly called my mom to take me to the doctor she thought I may have contracted shingles from a teacher who had an outbreak that month. We went to the doctor, and he 